And uh, again, good morning to all of you. Uh, if you've just uh, logged on or joined us, uh, we welcome you, of course. We appreciate you for coming. And uh, I trust that um, we'll have a wonderful time uh, in the Word this morning. Second Samuel, please, in the Old Covenant. <clears throat> Second Samuel, chapter 18, please. Second Samuel, chapter 18. Already Gone is a research paper conducted by the Barner Group and Answers in Genesis where it was established that 61% of today's young adults had been churched at one point during their teen years are now spiritually disengaged. 20% of those who were spiritually active during high school are maintaining, praise God, a certain, a similar level of commitment. And 19% of teens were never reached by the Christian community are still disconnected from the church or any other Christian activities. The research did not pinpoint a specific or a single reason why our young ones left the church. There were several reasons given, in fact, from boring services to legalism to hypocrisy of leaders. They find the church too political and even find some find the church full of self-righteous people with the Bible they did not find as being relevant to them. Unable to establish a cohesive interpretation of the data, the research group conducted an extended research and to their surprise, what was established is not the why, but the when. The assumption was that the church was losing their kids to the world when they go to college. But the revelation was that even when they were still in church, attending and participating in the church activities, they were there, but not there. They've left. And we're already gone. And how about this? I was raised on welfare in a Greek migrant family. I had been a successful athlete, school captain, ducks of my final year, and was a few years into an arts slash law degree when my life spiraled out of control. I grew up with guilt, some of it through my troubled family life, some by the poor choices I made. The seemingly confident, successful teenager was really a depressed and insecure actor. By my early 20s, I self-medicated with alcohol, then discovered cannabis and other drugs. Desperate for money, after losing my all-study allowance, I took my petty stealing to another level, armed robbery of the TABs. If you haven't, uh, sorry, one day, uh, on the day of my arrest, in a panic-stricken Crazy few seconds, I knocked down and disarmed a policeman of his weapon. I will never forget the terror in his eyes, staring into the barrel of the gun, my finger trembling on the trigger. In the police chase that followed, I could have died whilst fleeing a roadblock and being fired upon. 
I remember feeling some shame for what I've done to my family, but nothing more. I'm incapable. I wasn't capable. It felt like my life had exploded into fragments. And over the years, I was shaped by the ugliness of prison. If you haven't done so yet, open your Bibles, please, to Second Samuel. And uh, if you're able and you're willing, would you please stand with me, chapter 18. And the title of our message this morning is Our Own Absaloms. Our Own Absaloms. 2 Samuel chapter 18, pick up the account here in verse 31 until the end of the chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 18 verse 31, the Bible says, And behold, Cushi came, and Cushi said, Tidings, my Lord, speaking of David, My Lord the King, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said unto Cushi, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushi answered, The enemies of my lord the king and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt be as that young man is. And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. Let's pray together, Father. Thank you once again for this day. That in the society that we live in, where the roles of fathers and mothers uh, are continuously being attacked where the definition of a man and a woman can no longer be given straight. Father, I am thankful that today in this, your house of worship, we can honor our fathers, indeed our mothers, and we can look to your word to find some principles that will help us in our own manhood, and indeed our own fatherhood. Father, I realize my own incompetence, and in so many ways, failings. But I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen your servant, and would speak not on his own authority, but on your authority. And I pray, dear God, that your will and way would be accomplished in each of us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The passage before us, while it occurred thousands of years ago, is still speaking about us and our children today. If we have a child or grandchild who has not yet repented and trusted Christ as their Savior, he or she is an Absalom. And we must absolutely be concerned about their eternal safety. In our own way, we must also ask the question, is the young man Absalom saved? Is the young man, Absalom, safe? David wept uncontrollably over Absalom's death. No one could comfort him as he cried out again and again, My son, my son. That said, all that are Absaloms in this world needed to be saved and kin. Be saved. It is also true, beloved, that in your families and mine is where 
you and I will usually experience the greatest joys of life. But also, our greatest sorrows. Watching our children grow, knowing the love and, uh, of a spouse uh, that is steady and sure, sharing milestones together, and celebrations are certainly among life's greatest joys. On the same breath, I say, discord, divorce, disease, and death in the family are among life's most painful times. We find King David here in our text weeping over the death of his rebellious son, his third son, Absalom. The Bible described him to be a beautiful man. From the sole of his foot even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. Chapter 14, verse 25. Absalom had his older brother Amnon killed in cold blood. Many believe it was because Amnon raped his sister Tamar, but it may also be because Amnon, being the firstborn, was next to the throne before him. Absalom was a usurper, a shrewd politician even, who stole the hearts of David's people, indeed David's kingdom ultimately declaring war against his own father. Oh, yes, Absalom is a rebellious son. Absalom was a wild and rebellious man, yet Scripture never recorded David disciplining him. Now, I know we did not read the entire account, but we also find in this narrative not only a rebellious son, but a rebellious father. Father that is David. Moms and dads, can I ask you in love this morning, can we do some real soul searching please? Is it possible that you and I have rebellious sons or daughters because we have been rebellious ourselves. Like our offspring, we do not like authority over us. Perhaps we resent the idea of being subject to someone. We do not want to be told. We will do what we want how we want it done, and when we want it. We will do as we please. In the end, David's own son became his enemy, with the fullest of intention to kill him. Yet we find David inconsolable here, in verse 33. And the king was much moved, went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went thus, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. Would God I had died for thee, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I believe through God's intervention, Absalom was dealt with by no other than the Lord himself. In going against his father, God's anointed king of Israel, God had a plan and a purpose for David, and he wasn't going to allow a supplanter, a rebellious of a son, get in the way of God's plan and purposes. So David should really rejoice and not weep in the death of his rebellious son, who went and fought against him and his throne and indeed his kingdom, right? 
in spite of all the odds, God gave. God handed over the victory to David. Yet, we don't find him rejoicing. He was weeping. Is it possible that at that moment, David realized his own failings as a father? You see, prior to this, he lost his son in sin with Bathsheba. He would have been his youngest. He also lost his eldest son, Amnon, in the hands of his other son, Absalom, whom he now heard also have died. As he heard the news, is it possible that David realized his own delinquency as a father? Perhaps he began to realize what the old prophet Nathan said to him after his sin with Bathsheba. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. Chapter 12, verses 10. And 11. You see, beloved, from Second Samuel 11 onwards till the end of the book, David had trouble after trouble after trouble in his own house. Like I said, his son in sin, whilst he prayed earnestly that God would keep him alive, God took him. His eldest uh, rape his own sister and consequently his other son killed his brother what a mess talk about this functional family here's one but it did not stop there it went all the way down to the next generation his other son, Adonijah, also rebelled against God's chosen Solomon. And this other David's son also died as a consequence. Brothers, look at me. All this intergenerational trouble was all because of a look. A lustful look into the turn into adultery and murder and ultimately invoking the judgment of God not only to himself but to the people around him and his own household. Let me ask you was the look at the palace rooftop, worth it? Was that second look on a woman that's washing herself worth the trouble for the generations that came after the look? One disaster after another. How many lives have been ruined? Hurt and lost because David was not meant to be resting, but rather battling, leading his people into those battlefields to conquer the enemy. He left his God down and the consequences were catastrophic and fatal. Sin, my dear ones, always demand a price to be paid. And it doesn't come cheap either. It never is cheap. You pay for more than what you expect to pay. Our choices always come with consequences. What choices are you making today? 
By that question, I don't only ask that question to the fathers here today. Mums, what choices are you making today? Young people, what choices are you making today? Those choices that you're making right now, it can add and will be disastrous, not only to yourself, but for others around you who loves you, those wrong chases, choices will cost you more than what you've ever been prepared to pay for. Will it be worth it? I wish you would know. I wish we would know. But oftentimes, the cost, the casualty of those poor choices are not realized in the here and now, but in the days to come. And sadly, sometimes, perhaps we're all six feet under and the generations that we would leave behind are still suffering from the consequences of the sin and the choices we're making now. Choices. Although David was a formidable warrior and famous king, he also failed as a father. Instead of instructing his children in discipline, he indulged them. We find in the passage that all of David's sons were given an estate. They had a house and servants of their own. David made sure that his children were looked after and had everything the king and the kingdom can provide materially. But he failed to provide them what was really needful. Not material, but mentoring in the ways of God and His righteousness. The research paper I shared with you a while ago has revealed that one of the primary reasons why our young people eventually left their churches is because they were not taught the scriptures in the home. They were not trained to learn and defend the Bible and the fundamental doctrines of the faith. So that when they were challenged at school about creation versus evolution, the reality of God and the relevance of His Word, uh, the principles rather than just the prohibitions in the exercise of liberties, the entrapment of carnal entertainment and fellowship with unbelieving friends, they were not able to contend for the faith and their personal faith, for they were not fully persuaded as to who and what they believed. Perhaps David became too busy fighting wars everywhere and failed to win the battles in his own home. He failed to discipline his sons. Maybe he thought by providing all that they will ever need or desire in this life, it will lead them to the straight and narrow. Yet, all of his sons ended up disobeying and despising not only himself as their father, but most of all, God the Heavenly Father. Beloved, could we be doing the same in this, our time? We see our children as delightful, little darlings, and we fail to see that they are depraved and in need to be disciplined. Born as a sinner they are, and in need of the Savior, and we, 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 the parents are the ones that should teach 
and discipline our own children and not delegate it to another. Now in this day and age, perhaps what I'm about to say is no longer acceptable to some of you and may actually be upsetting with me even mentioning it. I'll take the risk. I'll take the risk. Because of what is involved. The Bible is true and it transcends history, time, and culture. And as it was true in Solomon's days, Proverbs 22, 15 is still true today. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Let me unpack this controversial verse these days. Wasn't used to. It was generally an accepted norm. But these days, this is so controversial and it polarizes the churches of this time. What are the truths found in this verse? First, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. That means your children, my children when they were young, and our grandchildren, foolishness, kasha, is joined together, knit together, physically girded, confined, bound in the heart of a child. That means sin. The greatest of all foolishness is naturally in the heart of man, in the heart of a child, your child. It's in him from his infancy. It is not only found, but bound in the heart of a child. It is rooted in him. Him being conceived and sin and shapen in iniquity. Psalm 51 verse 5. Sin cleaves to him. He has a strong affection for and desire after it. The Bible says the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Genesis 8.21. That is hard to accept as parents. But that is the truth found in this verse. What else does this verse tell us? Look at it again. The rod, shebet, literally is a stick of correction. It shall drive it far from him, the Bible says. Foolishness, sin, needs correction and chastisement. You do not read of sin by so-called gentle means. Sin is as ugly as cancer of the soul. And the consequence of it is eternal damnation. It must be dealt with just like our Heavenly Father deals with us when we sin. Now turn to Hebrews Chapter 12, please. Hebrews chapter 12. Here in verse 5. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? 
But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Do you love your son? Do you love your daughter? Do you? If the answer is yes, then discipline them. Discipline them. And they will love you back for doing so. And they will love you back for doing so. Just like God deals with us in love. Why? So that they might be partakers of His holiness and to yield a peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now I think many times when we speak of disciplining our children, there is a misnomer in the community and the society of our day that what is involved is just hitting or hurting the child until they're black and blue. Beloved, that is not Biblical discipline. That is abuse. It is never acceptable to hit and hurt your children out of anger. The Bible says here that our fathers in the flesh have chastened us for their pleasure and we still give them reverence. So if your belief of training up a child and disciplining of a child is hurting or hitting just for the sake of it, you're in the wrong. Biblically wrong. Horribly wrong. And that is not what discipline biblically means. Beloved, biblical discipline is not abusing the child whether it is physically important or whether it is verbally or whether it is emotionally or whether it is mentally. There are different forms of abuse and it's not always physical. It's the words. We say. It's the emotional abuse that we do. Biblical discipline is Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, then what is the guarantee? And when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word train here is chanak, it means to discipline. You see, Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod, there it is again. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Verse 17, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Are your children a delight to thy soul? Or do they bring shame to you because of their misbehavior? Do you find rest? Or do you find you spend all day chasing after your children to the point that you are begrudging that you had them? God forbid that it develops into resentment and bitterness 
towards your own child. My dear ones, without instruction, without discipline, without being taught the fear of God, a child will bring shame to his parents. Beloved, it is not as if we are left without a choice here. That we are living in some communist country that the Bible is not available. No. The word of God is readily available unto us. We can access it without restriction in book form, electronic, video, or visual form. The problem is not the, the unavailability of the material, but the unavailability of the man, in particular the man of the house to teach it. First Kings 1.6, speaking of Adonijah and his father, that is David, had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? The word displeased there has the idea of not carving, not fabricating, not fashioning. It is to be understood as David did not train or teach his son Adonijah, not even inquired why he is behaving so, or has behaved the way that he did. It's as if he doesn't care. And it's as if his son did not exist. In the Hebrew, the idea here is that he never straightened out the child. Again, beloved, our children came into this world crooked. And it's not, it's up to us, it's really our job as parents to straighten them out. We do so by disciplining, correcting, instructing, and training them in righteousness according to God's word. That's the caveat. According to God's word. I know we're no longer living in the dispensation of the law. But may I remind us all about our schoolmaster, the Ten Commandments. Commandment number five says, Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days be prolonged, and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now as a child, we've all been there at one time. This is one of the most if not the most important commandment for a child. Once a child learns it, he will fear God and submit to his parents and to all God-ordained, designated authorities in his life. But if he doesn't learn it, he will become a rebel who despises his own authorities and others around him. But who will teach him this? Parents and grandparents. This is a charge for us even today. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. Lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen. The less and less they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. I shared these with the seniors, remember? This exact verse. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 7, while it was commanded to Israel, it is applicable to us today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I have commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart. That's the first command. It must be first in our own hearts as fathers, as grandparents, as parents. Then after that, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. That means all day, every day, and with every opportunity we have. These, of course, do not mean preach them a 40-minute sermon. Or a three-point outline sermon. But more like moments. Bible moments, I call it, when it's up 
and it's in time and it's relevant. I say this out of love and out of pastoral concern. And I'm certainly not saying that these are bad in and of themselves. But some of you are quite happy to bring your children and train them in a footy, cricket, swimming lessons. You're happy to sit there for hours, rain, hail, or shine. But you can't seem to find time to teach them God's word. Get your priorities right. If your boy or daughter be the next Sam Kerr or Arian Titmus or Nick Kyrgios and yet miss heaven's glory, I ask you again, is it worth it? Is it? David failed to teach the word of the Lord to his own children. As a consequence, they grew up knowing the king, their father. But they did not know the king of kings. They did not grow up fearing the king of heaven. Now the Bible says David is a man after God's own heart, right? So how did this happen? Why did he not teach, train, and discipline his children? And there could be a plethora of reasons why that was. But could it be? Could it be that when parents practice sin themselves, they lose the moral authority to discipline? If I'm not disciplining, if I'm not teaching, if I'm not instructing my children in the fear of the Lord, is it because somewhere along the line of life I have fallen into sin and perhaps still falling into that same sin, I have lost my moral authority to teach and discipline my own. Second Samuel 13, 21 tells us that David found out what Amnon, his son, did to his sister Tamar. And when he raped her, his own sister, David's own daughter, the Bible says that he was wroth. He was very angry. But that's where it began and ended. Scriptures never recorded David did anything about this insidious event. Now God gave me three daughters and I love them dearly. And if anyone rapes them, I'd lose my mind. Apart from the grace of God, I don't know what I will be doing. And you would expect me to do something about it, would you? About the perpetrator. Unless I haven't killed them yet. I take that back, of course. David did nothing. Oh yes, he got angry, perhaps very angry, but did nothing. As a king, he had the authority to sentence his own son to death uh, by capital punishment. But rather, he shielded him from it. Why? Could it be because he himself is guilty by Bathsheba and Uriah, whom he plotted to be killed in battle? Dads, moms, have you lost your moral authority to discipline your own children? Genesis 18, 19, one of the angels referring to Abraham said, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken to him. Brothers, can the Lord say that of us today? That we will command our children and our household to keep the way of the Lord so that He can bring about His purposes in us in this world, can He? Are we going to shield or perhaps even make excuses for our misbehaving, disobedient, rebellious children? Or are we going to teach, train, and discipline our children? In Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21, 
Parents with disobedient and rebellious daughters and sons can take them to the elders and the community will stone them to death for being disobedient and rebellious. With what I know and seeing the horrible situations in some of the homes at the moment, sometimes I wish we can bring this law back. But you see, sometimes the fault is really not with the child but with us as parents. Parents are told that their little Johnny or Susie is such and such, but the parents can't see it or refuses to see it. How dare you say that of my child? In the meantime, this angel of the child of theirs is just screaming and kicking, kicking them while they are speaking to the school teacher. You have a choice. We all do. We can either choose to raise our children the godly way, or we can continue to spare the rod of correction and hope for the best. Eli, the priest, like David, did not discipline his sons. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 3, For I have told him, that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice, nor offering forever. Beloved, our failings as fathers... Our delinquency as dads just doesn't stop in this, our generation, sadly. Many times it carries on and lingers on, even to our sons, sons, and daughters. First Samuel 22 records for us, 85 priests through the line of Eli died in one day out of the judgment from God. David wept over his son Absalom's death. He wished that he himself died for his son instead. But what good would it do now? He should have done what he needed to do while Absalom was still alive. As sorrowful as he must have been, his death would not have been sufficient. Only the substitutionary death at the cross of Christ would have been in this case, if he only raised his sons the godly ways, they would have lived righteously before Jehovah. And so as we close this year's Father's Day service, let us be reminded of Proverbs 23, 24. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. But let us also remember Proverbs 17, 21. He that begetteth a fool doeth its sorrow, and the father of a fool hath no joy. Dads, granddads, what joy are we seeking today? Would it be? Would we pray it to be? Would we commit it to be that that joy be third, John 4? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Let me finally close by finishing what I shared in the beginning. And I quote, As much as I regret all those costly mistakes... They are part of who I am and taught me the most important lessons in life, though I wish I could have learned those lessons some other way. At the four-year mark of my prison sentence, hopelessly lost and suicidal, I needed to find a reason to live. Miraculously, it came through reading the Bible. Everything changed. My focus shifted from myself as I invested in the lives of others. It was an amazing time, 
Although I was still vulnerable and had a long way to go, I felt truly alive. My father died from a heart attack these three months before I got out of prison. I blamed myself. Getting out of prison, being free from being free wasn't easy. I got married and then divorced and struggled with the unexpected celebrity status I received in the Christian ministry from sharing my story and helping everyone. I have had two failed marriages, a relapse or two years of self-help groups and counseling. I'm strong but vulnerable, broken but healing, a Christian but ever-seeking and a lot of other contradictory things. I live simply a day at a time and strive for balance in the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual realms of life. Reflecting over my life, I deeply regret the pain I've caused people, the victims of my crimes, others that I selflessly used, the people I love, especially my children. Whilst much of it was unintentional, consequences follow actions. I had a school speaking engagement canceled because a teacher didn't want me there. Her aunt was one of my robbery victims all those years ago. I'll never know whether she or the policeman I nearly killed received the letters I sent, and if they did, whether it made a difference to them. It made a difference to me. Instead of just feeling bad, I was able to channel my guilt in a positive way and so forgive myself. I also produced a presentation called Victim Awareness for prisoners I was working with at the time met with my mother and sisters to apologize for the pain they suffered, as I've done with my sons, and I always strive to be reconciled with anyone I may have fallen out with. Despite all the mistakes I made, I've learned it's about saying sorry from the heart and doing whatever it is you can to put a right uh, to put right a wrong you've caused. It's about redeeming the mess you made for your life by turning it around and using what you've learned to help others. That's the journey I'm on, and I like myself for it. Arthur Bolkas, an ex-prisoner. One of the challenges for a pastor is preaching on a Father's Day service like today. Because he knows at some point in his life, and even now he is also guilty of being a David or an Eli sometimes. My dear ones, we're all still here. It may have been late for David, but it's never late for us. We have a choice to make this morning. We can choose to begin to raise our children according to God's ways. And yes, if we haven't been, let us begin to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. If you're here and you're not saved, you've not been born again, perhaps you've heard that term, but you never really understood what it means. I'd like to be given the opportunity to share what that means to you. You can come to me, you can come to Joshua, you can come to Brother Branco and others, uh, men that have been here for a while. Can I say this to you? What our parents did and didn't do to us, we cannot change. But if we have failed our own children in the past, 
all are failing them now. Let us own the responsibility and to commit to make it right what we did wrong. Do it in the here and now and not in the days coming for it may be too late. We may be weeping at a casket if we don't do what we needed to do right now. My, my brothers, there is no perfect fatherhood. No, not in this life. And there's only one perfect father that is our heavenly father. To him, we look for a perfect example. We may have lost our moral authority to discipline. Sure, there are consequences to our sins. But there is also forgiveness at the cross. Our own authority might no longer be without blemish. But we can go on living. In his authority through his word. This man David and many others in the scriptures. God continued to use them. And they lived for God. With all their failings. They were used mightily by the loving and forgiving father. And so can we. Let's not give up on ourselves. As our heavenly father never gives up. On us. In the meantime, let us stop shielding and making excuses for our disobedient and rebellious children. Instead, let us train and biblically discipline them in the Lord. By doing so, I pray that they will not be a part of the statistics that I've mentioned. And we can all claim the promise of God that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your enablement to go through yet another sermon from a man and a father and a husband that is not perfect like you. Father, thank you for the forgiveness of the cross and your continued sanctification, your continued shaping of us to be a man of God, a husband to our wives, and a father to our children. Thank you that in you we can claim the promise of forgiveness as we forgive others. Lord, there are times in this our life that we can never ever turn the clock back. But I pray that on this year yet another Father's Day celebration and service that we would indeed commit to you to love you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. And then tell our children, raise our children, discipline our children in the ways of you through your word. Knowing that we are failures and will continue to fail, Perhaps most of us, if not all of us, at one point lost our moral authority to discipline. But praise you that we can go on living knowing that we can still function in the authority of your word. 
Thank you for your love, for your forgiveness, and for your many second chances. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.